to Freedom, episode number 32. Hello again, this is Sean Terry from the Flip to Freedom podcast, and we are on episode number 32. Now, if you are joining us for the very first time, I am here to help you escape the nine to five and live the lifestyle of your dreams by learning how you can make an absolute fortune flipping properties in your spare time. Even if you're brand new, you're just getting started today, you have no cash, no credit, and no experience in real estate. So why do I start at flipping properties? Well, you know, in real estate, obviously, there is uh, there's tons of different facets you can get into. You can get into commercial, you can get into land, you can get in mini storage, you can get into buying rental properties and building cash flow. Um, but I believe, in my opinion, one of the one of the first things, if you're brand new to real estate, is to learn is flipping properties, wholesaling properties, where it's quick turn, where you uh, type a you know, $100,000 property for $50,000, turn around and sell it to $60,000 for a cash buyer, you make a $10,000 profit. Um, now, you can build fast cash and quick income uh, from flipping properties. And uh, and then you can take that information that you learn and you can gain your confidence in real estate and then start building a rental portfolio. Now, once you learn about how to market for motivated sellers, guess what? You're going to get deals that are going to come across. Uh, they're going to be smoking deals that you're going, wait a minute, I don't want to wholesale this deal and make $5,000. I want to keep it in my portfolio because it's producing three or four or $500 a month cash flow. You can do that if you want, and learning this information allows you to, to do that, which is uh, which is which is great. So for me, you know, escaping the nine to five. Well, you know, I, I had a dead end job. I was complete brain damage uh, back in. Um, you know, 2003, I hated what I was doing, and and uh, I, I came across this course where I could learn how to flip properties from an, uh, a gentleman that is uh, I cannot find today, um, but he, uh, he I, I was in a living month to month at the time, and. And I remember I used my Capital One credit card, my $400 Capital One credit card. I bought his course, uh, devoured it, and uh, and applied the information. And he actually taught to go knock on pre-foreclosure doors, uh, which I don't advocate because it's um, – Talk about difficult, um, but I did it and I applied it. Made eleven thousand eight dollars in my first month. Went out from there, made well over a hundred thousand dollars in my first year, and went out from there. And, and currently, have bought and sold over a hundred and twenty million dollars of property since that time. Made millions and millions of dollars doing it. And I basically put this podcast together uh, to expand my real estate business, to teach people everything I possibly know, um, to and hold nothing back. If you uh, you can go to flip2freedom.com. I actually wrote a, a book, a 129-page book that literally details everything about this business from start to finish on how to quit your job in 19 weeks or less. It's detailed. I've had people tell me that they uh, they have um, bought courses for over $1,000 that I don't even uh, – that, that – uh, that I put more information in this book than that course for over a thousand dollars. So, um, so I you can get that for free at flip the number two freedom.com. Um, but the bottom line is, like I said, the goal is to expand my real estate business. There are some people that are going to listen to this podcast that are going to take the information, they're going to go out and they're going to apply it and they're going to make a ton of money doing it. And, and I'm excited about that. There are some people that are want to want to have their handheld uh, through the process. So that's why I opened up the Flip to Freedom Academy coaching program where I can work with people and we partner on deals with people um basically partner with people so i can you know start expanding my real estate business all over the entire country so people go one of the first questions that people ask are why the heck do you give away 
the whole bag. Why do you give away all your secrets? Well, because think about it. If you're successful, then I'm successful. Like I said, some people are going to use the information, apply it, and go out and make a ton of money. Great. I'll never even hear from them. Some people, though, I'll be able to get to work with uh, personally, and uh, and we can go partner, partner on deals together all across the entire country. And it's expanding my real estate business, but also it's expanding your business. Now, I'm not going to partner with someone on every deal for the rest of their life. I'm not going to make them sign a non-compete agreement. No, I don't do that. Um, but there's going to be a point in time when when they'll say, hey, listen, I got it. And they're going to go out and, and do their own. You know, it might be one deal, it might be out the first deal, it might be over their second deal, third deal, fifth deal, whatever. You know, it, it doesn't matter. Um, it's not having the scarcity mentality. It's basically giving away great information, and uh, and it works. And it, and it works great. We have uh, I've opened up the Flip to Freedom Academy in October, uh, late October 2000, oh, the, just 2010 here earlier, and it's just it's just been I mean, we sold out. I mean, because I only I only can work with a you know certain amount of people. People, of course, but sold out like crazy. We have people making checks, you know, all over the country, and it's uh, just amazing. But I am going to be reopening um, in January because uh, uh, because I'll be looking for some more people to to work with across the country. So if you're interested, stay tuned. Go to flip2freedomacademy.com and you can um, you can uh, get on the early bird list if you'd like to do that. Now, in this particular episode, we are going to talk about questions and answers that I get from people within the Flip Two Freedom Academy, but also but also people that um, email me or, or uh, um, Facebook, whatever, I'll you know, get questions from all over the place, but I try to answer everyone that I possibly can. Um, but these are different questions from people that, um, that have asked. And one of them is about, should I use uh, multiple different real estate agents? We can talk about that. Assignment contract, you know, how to use an assignment contract without having the buyer know exactly what you're going to make. Well, got a secret for that. Um, I had a question about yellow letters. What address should you put on it? Corey had a question about verifying square footage on a property. Marcellus had a question about the difference between an option contract and a purchase contract. I'll tell you about that. Um, Ivan had a, a, a question about double escrow on a property versus an assignment. What should you do and how do you know? Um, have another question about... Um, how to deal with, if you have a real estate agent that's sending you MLS listings of properties, how do you capitalize on that and make money off REO flips? I'll tell you about that. Um, I had another question where you uh, put bandit signs out and and you have someone that calls uh, calls in and they're another wholesaler. How do you deal with that? I had a question about transactional funding and how to deal with that. I had a question about group texting and how we use that effectively. I also had a question about subject to deals. And uh, what's the difference between subject to, lease option, and agreement for sale? I'm going to break down that for you in, in a str strategically way to use each one of those in your business. I'm also going to talk about um, what is the cost for opening escrow. I'm going to give you my top iPhone apps that I absolutely love. I use every single day, and it's a must-have if you have an iPhone or an Android phone, if it, if um if it has those apps on there. And also at the end of this, I'm going to talk about information overload. When you first get started in real estate, um, there are, like I said, there's so many different facets. Well, should you do wholesaling? Should you do uh, REOs? Should you do short sales? Should you do, um, you know, uh, apartments? Should you do land? Should you do, you know, there's, there's like tons of different things that you could learn about extensively and jump towards and do. And the thing is, is that when you get this information overload, it just becomes, you know, you just, it 
it basically just makes you stop. And we're going to talk about how to overcome that. Um, now, like I said, if you want to go to uh, flip2freedom.com, you can download my free book, at, uh, a 129-page book on uh, exactly how to quit your job in 19 weeks or less. All right, now let's get into the questions. Love questions um, and answering those for you. All right, Marcellus said, um, when it comes to having a real estate agent, is it bad etiquette to, etiquette to have more than one? <laughs> well, absolutely not. I mean, think about it. It's just like this. Is if you got a real estate agent that you're working with, right, um, and, uh, you know, you don't, you want to, the goal first off is, is to have a real estate agent that is going to one um, give you a search results for the high cash transaction areas areas within your county that most of the cash transactions are happening and I typically like getting all the search results for the last 90 days um, that I can see you know high density cash transaction areas and and, and in the MLS um, you get all these little uh, blue little boxes and they put it out on a map and the blue boxes are all the cash closed transactions in the MLS we have here in Arizona and uh, you can see high density massive cash transactions in certain areas of town well that's information that's key that you want a real estate agent to be able to provide for you uh, so you know where to target properties and you know what um, most everybody's buying so you don't want to market for properties. You don't want to market for million-dollar properties when everyone's buying thirty-thousand-dollar properties, and vice versa. Maybe you're in a market like up in San Francisco, where everything is there is for a million five to two million dollars. I don't know. It depends, and you can find out exactly what cash buyers are buying. Uh, based upon that look in the MLS. Now, uh, having one or more agents, you can, uh, when you're first starting out, you want to build your dream team, and uh, part of your dream team is having a real estate agent on board, but guess what? You might have, you might find one or two or three, and you can start working with them and providing leads to them and see how responsive they are, and then sort them out down to one that you can have a good relationship with, and you're looking for a real estate agent that is newer to the game, um, that is, uh, hungry and looking for leads. When uh, new real estate agents are starting, the biggest asset to them is leads that come in. Now, why would you give them leads? You're looking for leads too. You're marketing for motivated sellers. You're talking to motivated sellers. And, and uh, why would you give them a lead uh, that comes in? Well, think about it. You know, maybe the property is over indebted. You can give them a short sale lead. Maybe they uh, just want to sell for absolute retail value. Well, what are you going to do then? Give them a lead. Give that person a lead. Um, and then in turn, they will provide services for you like comping properties or finding high cash transaction areas and, uh, and stuff like that. All right, next question. Assignment contract. Okay, when you're dealing with an assignment contract, um, you know, and you're meeting with your cash buyer. Now, let's back up. You market it for a property, you get a property on a contract for, let's call it theoretically, $50,000. The property's worth $100,000, you want to turn around and sell it for $60,000, right? So you meet with the cash buyer and you have a choice to either do a double escrow or you can do an assignment contract, right? And you got the assignment contract with you and it says basically on the assignment contract that you're assigning your $50,000 contract for $10,000. Well, when you meet with your, your, your cash buyer and you sit down and you're negotiating with them, right? And you say, okay, 
you know, here, I'll, I'll sign it to you for $10,000, is pretty much laying all your cards on the table. Listen, I've got two aces, and I've got three kings, and, you know, I've got a full house. What do you got? Oh, you got a flush? Well, we have issues. So the thing is, is that you're laying all your cards on the tables, table, which I don't like to do. So this is how you get around that in uh, to be able to uh, also do the assignment but get around this problem. What I do is I'm meeting with a cash buyer is I get them to sign a purchase contract for the $60,000 and that's it. I'll uh, collect the non-refundable earnest money deposit of uh, $2,500, $3,000 and, uh, and then I'll take that check and I'll take that contract to title and I tell them, hey, here's the contract, the, uh, the buy side contract for property XYZ and I say, uh, we're going to do an assignment at COE. Can you please draw up at COE a nominee agreement uh, nominating this new buyer as the buyer? Um, so instead of you being the buyer, it's, you're going to nominate him as the buyer. Um, or the title company could just do, or your closing agent, attorney, whatever it is, could just do a, uh, a simple assignment agreement. They can actually drop the doc for you, um, and then all the docs and everything will be signed at close of escrow. Now, think about it. If you're a cash buyer, you sit down with him, and let's say you're going to close in a matter of, say, two weeks, and, um, and you sit down with him and say, hey, you know, I'm going to sign this to you for $10,000. He's got two weeks to try to potentially negotiate you down off your price. He might go to the property and say, oh my gosh, holy cow, you know, I brought my contractor out there. The roof is a mess. We're going to have to replace the roof. Listen, I need to get this thing, instead of 60, I need to get this thing for 55,000. What can you do? You know, now you're in a tough position because now you're like, oh, okay, I, he knows you got $10,000 a room, right? So then you're going to have to go, okay, $10,000. But you eliminate that time, that negotiation, if it's all done at COE, because literally he signed a purchase contract for 60, um, and then uh, you bring it right at close of escrow. So when he, when it comes to signing all the documents, everything's done at the day of closing. The seller comes in, signs all their docs in. At a later time, the buyer comes in, signs all his docs. You come in, sign your docs. He wires in his $60,000, and it's all done right there on that day of closing. Um, and uh, and it doesn't give time to start the negotiation or, or open up negotiation uh, when dealing with that cash buyer in an assignment. So that's how I deal with that. And it works like a charm. Now, next question is this. Matt asked if um, yellow letters, what should he put for an address uh, on the back? Now, first off, you know, for people that are brand new, what the heck is a yellow letter? <laughs> a yellow letter is a unbelievable direct mail piece that gets an 11 to 15% response rate when uh, mailing the correct list. And it is the, uh, that along with a postcard on a second mailing follow-up are the, uh, is the only mail piece that we use. Now, um, so let me, let me explain what a yellow letter is. Yellow letter is a yellow piece of paper, lined yellow piece of paper, just like a little you know, yellow pad of paper. It's written written in hand, written in yellow and uh, red ink. And it basically says, dear homeowner, um, um, dear so-and-so, I'd like to buy your house at so-and-so address. If you're interested, please give me a call at 
my local number. And, uh, and then people will call because of curiosity. Now, that letter is put into an invitation-style envelope. It's, it has a real live stamp on it, and it's not licked. It's tucked in back. On the front is a handwritten in red um, ink, uh, their address, name and address. And on the back of the envelope, on the tab there, is the handwritten um, your handwritten uh, return address. Now, his question was, should he use a P.O. box um, or a just a handwritten, his personal address? If you have a P.O. box, use that. If you have an office address, use that. Um, if uh, if you have a home address, use that. doesn't really matter um, because they're curious. They're, they're, they're going to want to know. They're going to call up and uh, determine. Now, another thing I want to say about yellow letters that uh, another question that came up that I just remembered was, is I had a gentleman I talked to earlier this week, and he sent out some yellow letters, and he got about 20 of them back. And he was all upset. He goes, what is the deal? I got 20 of these letters back. It's just ridiculous. You know, you know, I, I thought I was getting a list that had, you know, 100% pure. Well, think about it. The list is only as good as the, um, the information that they get it from. And the information is typically from the tax records. And the tax records is typically updated by the owners themselves. You know, a lot of owners don't update the tax information and, uh, and that is, uh, and then they pull the information from the tax records. You get the list um, and then mail the list and you will get some return. It's just part of direct mail and it happens. But this is the deal. Don't throw those away. Those are sometimes your best leads. Now, I talk about vacant houses and how um, vacant houses are very, um, very motivated sellers. Someone that literally just walked away from their house. They are some of the best motivated sellers you can find. Uh, but think about it. You get 20 letters that come back. You know, these are people that have not updated their information, you know, and we're mailing targeting, you know, properties that are absentee owners or inherited properties or probate properties or, you know, or whatever it might be. So think about it. If they haven't updated the information, there's a way you can go and try to search and find that owner. They might be just the motivated seller that you're looking for out of the entire list. Because, you know, maybe they have the properties abandoned. Maybe it's vacant. Maybe they didn't update their, their tax information. The taxes are, are delinquent. You know, you never know. So those are sometimes your best leads. Take those 20 and go, holy cow, hey, thanks. You know, start digging into those and trying to find the owner and make offers on them. I and mean, think about it. If you have other investors in your marketplace that are mailing to those, maybe that list, absentee investors, uh, absent, you know, people that own rental properties, out-of-state investors, they're going to get their 20 back and get, what are they going to do with them? They're going to throw them away. So sometimes those are the best leads that you could possibly get. So, uh, so be thankful for them <laughs> and uh, make some money off them. All right. How can, uh, how can you verify square footage of a property? This happens a lot. You look at the tax record, the property is uh, in the tax record states that it's 1,200 square feet. You start walking around the property and you're looking and going, wow, this is a lot bigger than 1,200 square feet. Uh, what you can do is you can tape out the property because that's what an appraiser will do to determine value. He'll go out there with a tape and he'll tape all the corners of the entire house. He'll eliminate the garage if there is one and he'll come up with a square footage of the property. And you can do the exact same thing. Typically, um, I'll walk a property. I have a really good idea of what 
what size of a property is. So if it's 1,200, I can kind of feel what it looks like to be inside a 1,200 square foot house because I've been in so many of them. But if you walk into a house and the tax records say 1,200 and you're going, wow, this feels a lot bigger than 1,200. I have a tape measure in my car. I'll tape the entire house, get the measurements, go, holy cow, you know what? This is like 1,800 square feet. Then I'm going to start asking the homeowner, say, hey, is, you know, is there any additions to this property? I'll start maybe going to the, to the, to the city and to determine if any permits were pulled on the property. You know, actually, we, we actually bought a property where um, we bought it at auction. Um, this was a ways back and the tax record showed it as 800 square feet and but the actual property square footage was like 2,000 square feet so they priced it wrong we picked it up at a smoking deal found out that there was permits on the property that were never registered with a county assessor and uh and we got a smoking deal on that property so um always verify square footage uh if it feels off not on every single property but if you walk in and if it's a thousand square feet and it feels like it's bigger um then you might want to do a, a a quick check on that all right now what is the difference between this is marcellus asked this question what's the difference between an option contract um, and a purchase contract. Great question. All right. Option contract is like a flex option. We call it a 15-day flex option and purchase contract. Now, when you're dealing with a motivated seller, right, your number one focus is try to get the property at a wholesale price. And let's, let's, let's talk about a theoretical example. We have a $100,000 property. We get it for $50,000. We're trying to sell it for $60,000. We know we can sell it for. Well, we want to start in and start negotiating with the motivated seller in the $40,000, $50,000 range. And that's going to be our first goal when talking to the motivated seller. Now, what if the motivated seller says, absolutely not. There is no way I am selling this thing at all for $50,000. Well, what do you do? Well, then you go into the next method of negotiation and you go, well, listen, I understand you're not willing to sell it for 50, but what is the absolute minimum cash you would take right now on the spot? The guy goes, well, the minimum I'd take would be $70,000. Okay, $70,000. Okay, so what if, what if we could put, you know, pay us $75,000 of which $5,000 was a down payment and you would carry $70,000 for three years in an installment sale. Um, just make payments on that $70,000 for the next three years. Would you consider that? And they're going to say, yeah, sure. Maybe, maybe they will, maybe they won't. Um, I get a lot of deals where they say, sure, you know, I don't need the money right now, but yeah, sure, I'll, I'll do it on an installment sale. Um, for $5,000 down. Then it becomes, now you're negotiating the interest rate and you're negotiating the down payment, okay? Now, what if, right? What if they say, no, I don't want to do an installment sale. I need all the cash now and I want $70,000 cash. That's what I want. And you say, okay, well, listen, you know, you turn me down here, you turn me down here, but listen, I can't make the numbers work myself. I just can't do it. I need to be at this number for me to make my numbers work, and my investors, my partners, and stuff like that to make it work. But I have friends of mine who are buyers who are looking for rental properties in this specific area. And, uh, and for me to talk to them, I'm not a realtor, but um, for me to talk to them, um, we can do a non-exclusive 15-day option on the property for your $70,000. And I will see if I'll, I'll talk to these guys and see if they want to buy it for $70,000. I'll tack on a couple thousand dollars for my time and effort. And uh, you'll get your 70 and uh, we'll all 
make money and be happy and and he they'll buy it for rental purposes and they can actually pay a premium than I could um, in my situation but uh, you never know I might find a buyer that can line it up it doesn't take anything away from you doesn't stop you from marketing it it's non-exclusive um, and it's a simple one-page agreement that will allow me to do that would you be interested in doing something like that and a lot of times they'll say yes and if they say yes say great you fill out the option contract put the property address put a price in there and have them sign it and that gives you the ability to to market the property because you have equity interest in the property. You cannot legally market the property um, if you don't have equity interest in it or you're the owner. Uh, otherwise, you would have to be a realtor to be able to market that property. So don't market a property you don't have equity interest in. And a way to gain equity interest is through a non-exclusive flex, flex option. Okay, so that's the way to use that. Now, think about it. Now you have the property under a, a, a non-exclusive flex option. You find someone that wants to buy it for 75. Uh, you get a purchase contract on that side for 75000 You collect a non-refundable earnest money deposit with a contract clause that says uh, contract subject to marketable title. Then you turn around and you execute a contract with the seller for the $70,000. You bring both of those contracts to title, a buy side and a sell side contract, and uh, you instruct them to do an assignment at a close of escrow for the $5,000 to you. The seller gets the $70,000 and the buyer gets the property for Seventy-five, and you make the five thousand dollars. So that's a great way to be able to um, three different methods uh, to be able to maximize a deal. I I first go in going in shooting for wholesale. If I can't get the wholesale, then I'll then I'll turn around and I'll get the subject to deal. And if I can't get the subject to deal, then I'll turn around and, and shoot for the flex option. But this is the thing: I got a deal under contract that I got it under a flex option. And then guess what? The seller's motivation, I started building a relationship with them because I'm, I'm uh, having people go down there, have them look at the property. I'm, con I'm talking to them every other day. I built a relationship with them and his motivation level changed while I was marketing the property and saying, listen, I, I need to get out of this thing now. And uh, you know, what do you got? So I literally negotiated down from, you know, from a, a $75,000 price all the way down to $60,000, you know, because the motivation level, which made the numbers work for what I was trying to do. So that is an option for you that you can do. You can uh, tie it up under the flex option and then still negotiate that flex option down if their motivation level increases. All right. That's the difference between an option contract and a purchase contract. Purchase contract, then, you know, if, if the guy said, hey, I'll sell for $50,000, great. Execute the purchase contract. Make sure you have your uh, your contract clauses in there that I specify in my book at flip2freedom.com. Got to have those in there. Don't sign a contract without them. And, uh, and then if you can't sell it, it will give the ability to get out of that contract. But a purchase contract is a commitment. Um, and a option contract is basically, hey, let me see what I can do. See if I have some friends that will buy the buy the property from me. All right. Um, now, next question. Ivan, I think we talked about that one, about uh, double escrow versus assignment. All right. Next question. I have um, a real estate agent that sends me listings on a biweekly basis of REO properties. How can I capitalize on those and how can I make money off those? All right. First off, I do not advocate marketing or starting out brand new. Um, and start flipping REO properties for a couple different reasons. One, uh, you need uh, you need a proof of funds letter. You're going to have to have earnest money. 
you have to have a really good relationship with a real estate agent and you have to understand you making a ton of offers there's a ton of paperwork um, and there is some risk and liability when you uh, when you flip REOs uh, potentially your earnest money is at risk um, and potentially if you screw up then you're actually gonna have to buy the property so you want to make sure you know what you're doing there so I don't advocate starting out brand new in the business and trying to deal with REO properties um, that's why I say deal with motivated sellers, because guess what? Motivated sellers, you don't need proof of funds. Motivated sellers, you don't even need earnest money. Motivated sellers, you don't need transactional funding. Motivated sellers, you don't have to deal with 30-page addendums. It's a simple contract. And motivated sellers, they'll give you a little bit more leeway on time if you need to sell it. That's why I love dealing with motivated sellers. Um, banks are a lot different. There's a lot, a lot of uh, stuff involved. So now, back to the question, how can he make money? So let's say you have have dealt with motivated sellers. You're a little bit more experienced. You're bit more confident, uh, but you want to capitalize on making money with REOs. Um, first off, you have to know what your buyer is going to buy. You don't want to start tying up all these properties, wasting your realtor's time, wasting the other realtor's time, the escrow officer's time and everything if you tying up properties that your buyers aren't going to buy. So the first thing you do is want to start doing a survey on your buyers to say, hey, listen, if I tie up an REO property, it's a smoking deal, um, you know, what price, let's say if it's listed at $50,000, how far below market, you know, would I have to be for you to be able to uh, jump on that deal? And they're going to tell you. I mean, they'll, they'll tell you and they say, well, you know, typically, you know, you know, I'm not going to buy it at list price, of course, but I'm going to buy it, you know, at below list price. If you think you're going to uh, tie up an REO property for 50000 and try to sell it for sixty. Fat chance. Can't do it. <laughs> because think about it. You put yourself in the buyer's shoes. They're going to go look at the property for 60, you know, that's marked, that's listed for 50. And uh, you're selling it for 60. They're going to say, listen, this guy just tied the thing up and now he's trying to tell it, sell it to me for 60 grand and make a quick 10. Forget it. He's going to look at other properties in the neighborhood and make offers on them um, if he likes that neighborhood. So, you typically have to be anywhere from 3 to 5%, depending on the price of the house, below the list price for them to be able to feel comfortable and confident to, uh, or, or, or pull the trigger on buying that property. So if you have a $50,000 property, you want to market it, put it out there, thirty-nine dollars to $41,000 out there that will, uh, will basically show that, listen, you added value to the transaction. You went out, you negotiated, you got a good price on it, and you're offering them a good price. So meaning if a $50,000 property, you got to get it at least at $35,000, dollars $33,000. So then you can in turn make a profit on it. Okay, so now uh, that's the whole premise of bank-owned properties and the goal of what you're trying to accomplish when making these offers. So now to get deals under contract with that significant discount off the list price, you have to make a lot of offers. So you're going to get deals coming in and you want to only target on high transaction cash areas like we talked about earlier. Um, so you get basically these listings coming in and you want to blanket offers um, on properties at that low number. So if you have a $50,000 listing, you want to put offers in at say 33, 34, 35,000. The offer would be a, you know, typically in that situation, a $1,000 earnest money. No inspection period and close five days after acceptance. Okay, that's a very aggressive offer, but it gets the attention of the realtor, gets attention of the asset manager, and it, if there's other offers on the property, um, that offer will supersede even if they're at a higher price because you waived the inspection period. Okay, now 
what happens is 99% of the time they say, okay, we accepted your offer. We're going with your offer. Um, but you have to fill out the bank addendum. They get the bank addendum over to you. It's typically 25 to 30 pages. Make sure you read it in depth. And in that bank addendum, they typically give you seven to 10 days of, uh, of inspection period anyways, which is ridiculous. So they give you seven to 10, day, 10 days anyways. So you're like, okay, cool. <laughs> you know, you said you wouldn't have any inspection period, but then all of a sudden they, uh, they give you seven to 10 days. Now, what if they don't give you the seven to 10 days? Well, then say, listen, you want to back out of the, you don't, you, you don't want to move forward because you're, you're not comfortable with the bank of denim and you want to back out of the deal. Um, like I said, 99% of the time they will give you a seven to 10 day inspection period. Now, when the bank says, okay, I accept, we're going to accept, we're going to move forward. I'll get you over the bank addendums. Then you want to start sprinkling it out to your cash buyers and saying, hey, listen, I got this great property. It's currently listed at 50,000. I think it's worth 90,000. It needs this much work on it. You can pick it up for $39,000. Uh, uh, but you got to move quick on it and uh, and then put it out either via email or uh, through making some phone calls to your VIP buyers. Don't put it down on Craigslist back page in Gijiji just yet, uh, just in case you have these realtors that are out there um, that you're dealing with actually see the property listed, you know, from you at you know say you know whatever price you have it listed at, and they go, well, wait a minute here, this guy's just trying to flip it before you get the bank addendum back, um, and then they back out of the deal. So. Sprinkle it out to your cash buyers, um, your VIP buyers, and let them know that they could buy it. The goal would be to get the purchase contract prior to um, you actually before your inspection period um, is over so you know it's a done deal. You want to get a purchase contract. If you can't get a purchase contract before the inspection period's up, then you want to back out of the deal. Um, you don't even want to you know, you want to deal with it beyond that point. Um, there are ways to back out of it beyond that point, but it's real risky and your earnest money will be at risk. Typically, and uh, you'd have to put a you know, $1,000 earnest money down. And the goal would be to, you know, when you're making these offers, you're not just going to make an offer on a $50,000 listed property for $33,000 and expect everyone to be accepted. It's not going to happen. They're going to counter and then probably will counter at 43, 44, 45, depending. Um, but that's why you have to make a lot of offers. That's why you have to have a realtor that's willing to do all that paperwork for you to write all those offers. And you're going to have to have a, a copy of earnest money check and a proof of funds uh, to be able to document that you can close on the deal. Again, that's why I like dealing with motivated sellers. All right. Hope that answers that question. Next question is, I got a call off a bandit sign from a wholesaler. Uh, how do I respond and what, I, what can I do with that? Well, other wholesalers are great to network with in your market because they are out there looking for properties too. Now, what if you have a cash buyer that's looking for a property that's say $50,000, um, three bed, two bath in a specific area, and you don't have that property? Well, then you can call up the other contacts, other wholesalers in your network and say, hey, listen, and this is what I'm looking for. Do you got anything? And the guy goes, yeah, I got a smoking deal right in the same area. I'm in it for this. You know, if you sell it for this, you know, we can either split the profits or you turn around and uh, tack on your fee um, and, uh, and split the profits from there. So then what you do is, is you, you do a flex option 
Same type of thing. You can't market it without a flex option. Um, with that wholesaler for that property, turn around and talk to your cash buyer about it and tell him, say, hey, I got exactly what you're looking for. Um, let's say theoretically your, your, your flex option price with the uh, – with the uh, wholesaler is $50,000, then you in turn uh, turn around and sell it maybe for $55,000. It's exactly what he's looking for. Do a contract with the buyer for $55,000, get the $2,500 earnest money, and then um, and then uh, and then uh, execute the contract with the wholesaler. Bring it to closing. Everybody gets paid, and uh, everybody wins. And now you build a really great relationship with one of those, these other wholesalers. That now you basically moved one of his properties, so he's happy. All right. So that is uh, how to deal with that. Next thing is, do I uh, do I use transactional funding? Um, the answer is no, because um, when I'm dealing with REOs, we just typically do double escrows using two different title companies. Um, and that's number one. And uh, typically when you use transactional funding, it's either for short sales or you physically have to close on the property um, and then sell the property within 24 to 72 hours. Uh, I don't use transactional funding because most of the deals that we do are with motivated sellers. And with motivated sellers, you don't need transactional funding. That's another reason why um, I don't like doing short sales or bank or REO deals because sometimes you're going to be forced to use transactional funding. Um, especially if it's a it's a bank that doesn't allow you to flip the property. All right, now group texting. Um, what do I use for my group texting? Um, why do I like group texting? Well, number one is when you're building an email list of cash buyers, which I highly recommend. Um, the deliverability rate for an email is typically uh, 25 to 40 percent open rate. So if you have an email list of 100 cash buyers on your email list and you send out an email, 25 to 40 of them are actually going to open up the email and read it. And the other ones are not going to read it or they're going to bounce or whatever, you know, it's, it's not going to be deliverable. Well, text message marketing is unbelievable because you get a 100% deliverability rate. If you have those same 100 people on a text alert, well, guess what? Every one of those texts will be delivered. And you know, a lot of people have smartphones these days and all this stuff. Guess what? Yeah, you, you bring your phone, your wallet, and your keys when you leave the house, right? Well, same thing happens. Well, guess what? They get their they get their phone, right? And they get a uh, you know they get a text on their phone of uh, of the property, and they can go they're out and about. They can go look at it and check it out if they'd like. So I love a text message. Now, what what do I use? I use uh, Message Media. I'll put a uh, notes. Uh, I'll put the uh, link in the show notes at flip2freedom.com. If you go to uh, episode number 32, I'll stick that in there for you. And that's Message Media. And they have a great feature for group texting. And it's very, very simple to use. Also, you can download my book at flip2freedom.com. I show you exactly what to say inside the text message marketing so you can get the best response um, to sell the properties. All right. Next question. And uh, I, got one, I got one more after that. Actually, I'll go to the next one first because it's, uh, it's an easy one. What does it cost to open escrow? 
nothing. If you're brand new, getting started, people go, hey, listen, I, I don't have any money, any cash. I'm going to handwrite yellow letters myself to a list that I get from my realtor that's free. I'm going to send those out, and I got no money. How much does it cost to open up escrow? doesn't cost you a dime to open up escrow, which is great. Um, escrow agents, that's part of their service, is to open up escrow, pull a title report on the property, um, and then, uh, then you can start marketing the property, find the cash buyer. They'll close the transaction, and they will get their fees at a close. Who pays those fees? The buyer pays those fees because in your contract, on your sell side contract, you're going to notate that the um, all uh, fees are paid by the buyer. Um, all closing costs paid by the buyer. That's what you're going to put in there. All right. Now, this question right here is uh, subject to. What's the difference between subject to, um, lease option, and agreement for sale? Okay, when would you use them? How, what's the difference of them? Okay, first off, subject to. Subject to means the deed will actually transfer to the buyer, um, but the underlying loan on the property will stay in the seller's name. Okay, give an example. Let's say you have Mr. Seller. Um, they have a property that's worth, say, $100,000. They have an $80,000 loan. Let's say that loan is with... Uh, Wells Fargo, and um, and they you negotiate with them that they want say five thousand dollars down, so you in turn sell that property to a buyer for ten thousand dollars down, of which you want to keep five thousand, the seller would get five thousand, um, and uh, but then they want to keep the existing loan in place for Wells Fargo. Well, the Wells Fargo loan would be in a seller's name, and with the subject to transaction, the deed would transfer into the buyer's name. Loan would be in the seller's name, deed would be in the buyer's name. Now, dealing with a title company, you typically put verbiage in the contract that the buyer agrees to pay seller $5,000 net at closing, buyer agrees to purchase property subject to the existing underlying loan, um, not to exceed, say, $80,000. Okay, um, so then you bring that paperwork to the escrow officer. They'll draw it up. Now, if they have a, a servicing company that will service that loan, um, meaning that they will do what's called an exact wrap of that loan, and then they'll service that loan, meaning that they'll collect payments from the buyer, and then they will send payments uh, out to the seller's mortgage. You'll get a statement each month. The seller will get a statement each month. It'll be audited, and then you can use it for your tax purposes. That's the best, absolute best way to do it uh, because. Uh, then you don't have the buyer making direct payments to the mortgage uh, company um, and it's a little bit more difficult that way. So that's the best way to do it. The difference is that's exactly what it is. The title transfers and the loan stays in place. An agreement for sale is when the title does not transfer until the underlying loan is paid off. Until that $80,000 loan is paid off, the title does not transfer. But I like the agreement for sale because it can still be serviced, meaning they can collect payments and then pay the bank directly. Um, and you don't have to have any more signatures from the seller. You don't have to hunt them down for signatures. And the seller cannot encumber the property. They can't get another loan on the property. Also, too, is they, uh, they can't sell the property because that agreement for sale is recorded. And, uh, and so if anybody pulls title on the property, they'll see that there's an agreement for sale on it. Um, so that's why I like the agreement for sale because you don't need anything else from the seller. A lease option is basically uh, when you do a lease 
with the uh, seller for a certain price and you do an option to purchase for a certain price and a certain time. So let's say it's five years down the road for the $85,000, right? And uh, then you turn around and sell that lease with a purchase to a buyer for $5,000. And you sell that contract for five grand and, uh, and then now he takes over that contract um, that you negotiated and set up for $5,000 and he just continues making the lease payments. Now, what I don't like about the lease option is it's not recorded. Um, you can record if you want. You can record your memorandum of sale, but typically it's done outside of escrow. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and that. So, uh, I, I typically prefer doing a lease option or a, um, I mean, a, an agreement for sale or a subject to transaction. Now, what happens if you're dealing with a seller and the seller says, I don't want to transfer title at all. Well, then you can go to the agreement for sale. If they say, well, I'm not doing anything, that type of agreement, this, I don't know how it works, I'm, I, I don't understand it, then you can do a lease option. And that's basically what you can do for negotiation purposes, uh, dealing with those three different tools in your toolbox. All right. So that is the uh, it for the questions there. Now I'm going to get into the iPhone apps that I love and use every single day. Now. I'm going to tell you why the iPhone is great. Um, actually, I don't want to tell you, <laughs> tell you why the iPhone is great, but but having apps is great because uh, I, I don't really know much about the Android phone. Um, but um, I uh, I do know that the uh, iPhone is, uh, is, is great to use. All right. Now, the apps I love. First off is that you could use these when either a seller calls in or... When you get an internet lead that comes across and you get an email on your phone from a seller that has just hit your squeeze page and filled out the form. Now, what happens is, is that um, what I do is, let's say you're talking to a lead on the phone and you are, you know, you're not in front of your computer and you can't get the information. What I do is uh, I would get the address. Um, I'd either write it down or stick it in my notepad on my phone there. And I'll stick it into what's called um, the first app, which is uh, RealQuest Home Values. Um, I'll drop it in there, and that gives me a real quick and dirty of what the property's worth. Now, while I'm doing this, I'm actually talking to the seller, finding out information about the house, three bed, two bath, tell me about the roof, tell me about the heating and cooling on the house, tell me about the age and the condition, and yada, 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 all the stuff you're asking when dealing with motivated sellers. Um, also, too, you're going to figure out what they owe on the property and uh, what they believe the property's worth and what they'd like to get for it. So, you know, so let's say they say they owe, you know, $50,000 in the house. I drop it in the home value and I figure out it's worth one hundred and twenty. Well, listen, there's some room there to play with. So I stick it in the home values, right? Figure out what the property is worth. Then I'll stick it in the Zillow to just try to do a cross-reference to make sure. Now, typically what I find out between Zillow and the home value real quest, home value uh, prices there, um, those two different apps is that uh, there's about a, anywhere from a three to five percent differential in in, uh, in in comps comparable sales of uh, what they're what they're saying. Now the next thing I do and that's Zillow. Zillow has an app that works great. So I will take the address, I'll copy and paste it and drop it into Zillow. I'll do a search on Zillow, and Zillow will kind of tell me what properties have sold around the neighborhood. Now all this is why I'm talking to the motivated seller. Or if I get an internet lead, I'm doing this before I actually call them back. 
Uh, so I get a lead that comes across. I'll drop it in all this information. I'll get a good idea of what I'm dealing with before I actually even call the uh, seller back. Um, so now I turn around and then I'll drop copy and paste the address and drop it into realtor.com, which is another app that I use. And, uh, and I'll put it in there. And then that will let me know um, what properties are selling in that direct neighborhood. What, what are they on the market for? So let's say I have a talking to a seller. They say they owe $50,000 on a property and, and that's worth 110, 120 in home values and Zillow and, and uh, realtor.com. It says everything's going from 120, 110, 120 around those particular areas, you know, in the, in that particular neighborhood. Um, and then I talked to the seller and I said, listen, you know, you know, might, might have some room there and see what we can do. Um, what are you, uh, what are you looking to get out of it? And they go, well, I'm looking to get you know, you know, 55,000. I'm just trying to get out of it. The place needs work. You know, I just want to be done with it. Well, I'm right there. I'm setting an appointment. I mean, that day, I'll drop everything that I'm doing, you know, and I will go on that appointment. So listen, how quick can I see the property? I said, well, you can see it this afternoon if you'd like. I said, great. How about three o'clock? Perfect. So now, now I'm pulling up all my contracts. I'm getting all the information and I'm at that appointment. Why? Because that is a hot lead. Now, what if that lead now says, well, you know, I I, I, I don't want to get anything less than $90,000 for it. Well, $90,000, well, I'm, I'm just pulling up some comparable sales on my phone real quick. I need just some quick and dirty numbers, but it looks like everything's going for forty, fifty, sixty thousand 60000 in that particular neighborhood. Obviously, I have to look at it and check out the how much work needs to be done, but you know, I, I don't know about you, but if that's what stuff is going for in your neighborhood, would you consider taking that number? Well, you know, they're going to go, well, I wouldn't sell for 40 because I owe more than that. Well, I mean, what, what, what about 55 or it was in the 50 to 60 range? And they go, well, you know, if, if that's what the real value is worth, then I guess I'll, you know, I, I guess that's what I'll have to, you know, have to take. Um, or if they're going to go, absolutely not. There's no way I'm giving this property away. Um, I wouldn't sell it for less than, you know, $85,000. Well, then you know that you have a, a you know you have a play there. You have to do either a subject to or you have to do a, an agreement for sale. So then you go, well, listen, well, you know, you know, honestly, I'm an investor. You know, I have to get properties at a fairly deep discount to make it work. But also, I uh, I work with um, you know building a rental portfolio too. But as you know, the you know the mortgage market out here is absolutely ridiculous to try to get a loan. So you know. Would you consider leaving your fifty thousand dollar loan in place and giving you some, you know, some cash, or would you consider, you know, doing a seller carry on it for, you know, for the balance, meaning that, you know, we give you three to five thousand dollars at closing and you carry the balance for three to five years? Would you consider something like that? Then I could probably get in your, you know, in your high, more, more of a retail value price for the property. Would you consider something like that? And they go, yeah, I don't need the cash right now. You know, I just, you know, I'll need the cash down the road. But if I can make a little monthly income on it, then sure, yeah, I'm not definitely consider something like that. And, you know, obviously I don't have the, you know, I'd tell them that I don't have the, you know, I have to look at the property first and see if it would fit what we're looking for in the neighborhood and stuff. But, you know, just to, just to throw it out there. So what you're doing is you're doing a soft pass because you don't want to go on an appointment all the way down there and find out that uh, they won't do either. They don't want to do a carry and they don't want to sell it low. So literally you just wasted your time. I've done that before with a seller. I actually, uh, I went out to the house and they said, you know, I, I did the soft pass and they're like, oh yeah, yeah, well, possibly, you know, yeah, do it. we might do it. I got out there, nice older couple, not distressed at all, nice house, second home, you know, and they're like, they wanted $100,000 above retail. 
I was like, well, I talked to you on the phone. <laughs> I told you what the values were, you know, and, and you said, you know, and he says, well, you know, I had to talk to my husband. I felt terrible. I was like showing him, say, listen, this is what everything's selling for in the neighborhood. You're $100,000 upside down of what you're thinking you're going to get for it. Um, and so, uh, but I wasted an hour going, driving out there, pulling all the comps, getting the contract, getting all the information, getting a letter of authorization, driving out there, meeting him, going through the whole house and negotiating, which I hate to do. I'd rather go on an appointment where I know they're pretty much teed up and ready to go. All I got to do now is negotiate the price because they're realistic to the marketplace. Um, so that's how I use the iPhone apps. And you can do that while a lead comes in off your internet marketing, um, or if a lead comes in offer direct mail uh, that you can uh, you can work with them on too as well. So that's uh, that's the best way to use those iPhone apps. Now, um, I want to talk about information overload. When you first get started in this business, um, you're going to get hit from every different angle. There's going to be REOs. There's going to be short sales. There's going to be um, you know you think about li listening to all these podcasts. There's all these other podcasts, and there's always going to be uh, a another bright shiny object as I call it, or something that's going to attract or, or be like the next best thing. And I got to tell you this, I mean, I, I've seen pretty much everything that you could possibly do from REOs to short sales to, you know, to apartment investing, to motivated sellers, to wholesaling, to cash flow properties, to whatever it is. Um, so you got to pick the focus that's best for you. If building a rental portfolio is best for you, seek out the best person that you can relate to and feel comfortable with that is teaching about building a rental portfolio and start from there. I mean, like Jason Hartman is a great guy who talks about building rental portfolios. Great person. He has a great podcast. I think it's a Creating Wealth podcast. So you can listen to that. Um, but he is specifically focused on building a rental portfolio because that's what his business does at Platinum Partners um, out, in, uh, out in Anaheim, California. So if that's your niche, if that's what you want to focus on, focus on it, build it, build your portfolio, build your wealth that way, build your net worth that way. Um, if you want to get into quick cash turning properties, then obviously this would be something you'd be interested in. Um, if you want to get into apartments, then David Lindahl is a, would be a person you want to uh, seek out. He is Mr. Apartment Guy. He does uh, teaches people how to buy and sell apartments. Um, if you want to get into mini storage, I'm sure there's someone out there that's a, that's a, a guru in in mini storage if you want to get into you know into short sales or you know they the, the, they have the guy that's called the short sale kid you know that, that all he does is uh, short sales and teaches how to strategically make money out of short sales if you want to get into reos there's uh there's a whole whole bunch of stuff slew of information on uh, on reos um so the thing is this is that don't jump around Okay, that's the worst thing you can do is say, okay, I'm going to get into motivated sellers and I'm going to focus on marketing for motivated sellers, but then I'm going to get into short sales and I'm going to learn all about short sales. Then I'm going to go, well, then I'm going to start doing REOs. I need to get transactional funding. I need to do this. I need to get a realtor. And then I'm going to do, and then I'm going to over here and then maybe I should do apartments because I ran across this apartment deal. It has seven unit apartment. What should I do here? Maybe I should do apartments. And what happens is you're going to dilute your learning and you're not going to get anything done because I'm going to tell you right now, the goal is to learn a specific niche 
whether it be marketing for motivated sellers and learn that niche inside and out, know it inside and out, make money with it through action, and then move on to these other different areas. When you have that mastered and you have that down where it's producing income for you in your business every single month, then if you want, if you want to focus on building a rental portfolio like we talked about in the beginning of the podcast, you can do that because you're going to run across unbelievable deals that you'll say, listen, I've got to keep in my portfolio. Um, if you want to get into apartments, you can start learning about that because that's a whole different thing. So um, information overload. How do you manage information overload? Literally, I can tell you, shut it all off. Shut it off. I, I, you know, I, I mean, from every email I get, from every launch and big product and this and that and the other, Find and if, if like if you're interested, you know, in building a rental portfolio, then shut me off. You know, if you're want to get into quick turn real estate, then shut the other guys off because whatever it is, shut it off, focus, and uh, apply massive action, and you'll get results that you want. Then you can lead into other avenues and other areas. Um, and that is the, and find out everything you can about that specific niche that you want to target on. Um, otherwise you'll dilute yourself and you'll get nothing done and you'll just get this overwhelmed feeling that you have to do so much. Uh, one part of the, uh, you know, the flip to freedom Academy is I have all these little tiny videos, these little videos, not tiny videos, but little, uh, I have these HD videos that are, um, um, short in length. Um, that gives a specific step and it pretty much walks you through each module on exactly, okay, listen, here's your squeeze page. Here's how you upload it to your site. Here's how you create your autoresponders. Here's how you, um, you market, you know, your website. Here's how you, you know, here's how you do, here's how you get the leads coming in, you know, and then it takes you through the entire process. You know, how, what is subject to investing, how to build your buyers list. And it takes you step by step. So then you can go back and watch it either on your iPad or your iPhone or your, um, or your computer, whatever you want, and then learn the information when you're at that potential particular point because uh, there's going to be a point where you're going to say well listen how the heck I got my buyer squeeze page how the heck do I get tons of cash buyers um, to opt into my buyers page for free well guess what we get a module for that and we'll go through all the details specifically and tell you exactly how to do it for free if you want paid methods fast paid methods well you can do that too show you exactly how to build a google adwords pay-per-click campaign um, in detail and specifically how to do it so you can get uh, leads coming to you I actually give you the keywords to actually focus on and target as well um, so i mean those are things you want to focus specifically on a, a specific niche and wipe everything out and just focus on that until you learn it and get results from it. Once you get results from it, then you can start focusing on other avenues of uh, real estate. All right, so that is it for episode number 32. Um, in the next episode, I am going to tell you about the ultimate uh, business model. The ultimate business model. Um, and it's about real estate, of course. You know, what else would I talk about? <laughs> but it's real estate investing, but it's the ultimate business model. Because I've had a lot of people ask me, and I said earlier in the podcast, uh, uh, why the heck do I give away so much great free information? And I hold nothing back. 
and that basically there is uh, you know there's you know tons of other you know gurus that talk about you know real estate investing and stuff like that and they they hold information back in hopes that you'll pay for information uh, the information and they're selling the information stuff to you uh, and they hold enough back just to get you to pay for the information and they sell that's not my game I want to give you everything all up front and listen my goal is if I if uh, if uh, if you want more right then I'm looking for a partner to partner on deals with with people all across the country that's the whole gig so if I can teach you everything about it guess what Get, you'll be a better partner when we're dealing and deal with deals together all across the country and uh, and that is uh, I'm going to get into exactly how to what that business model is how to develop it um, and uh, how you can implement it in your business so until next episode I wish you ultimate success in your real estate investing career. Take care and God bless.